Hey, Reach Paramount. Welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our midweek service with Pastor Rob Santiago in a message entitled Breakups to Makeups. Enjoy this message. Can you guys hear me? Am I on? Am I on? Okay, I'm on. Thank you. You guys could be seated. Thank you so much. I can't believe you guys are still standing up. Caught me off guard. I want to thank you for that applause. Thank you. I feel honored. I appreciate it. I don't take it lightly when I get a chance to come up here and preach and, and to read God's word with you guys. It's, it's, uh, it's something that uh, the Lord knows that I take that very seriously. Um, and, and I'm just excited to be here with you guys tonight. Um, and so tonight I want to stick with the theme. So we're going to talk about love, but I want to talk about love in an unloving way today. Is that all right with you? You guys got quiet on me. But I want to talk about love in an unloving way because I think sometimes we think God doesn't love us. We see God's actions and sometimes we look at those actions like he doesn't love us. For example, we may be going through a circumstance that seems like it's insurmountable. Maybe it's too heavy. And we think, God, why do you hate me so much? So I entitled this message, Breakups to Makeups. Breakups to Makeups. And I truly believe that God, when we come to him, we come to him at a fractured state. It starts with us just being broken and realizing we need to be fixed. Last night in Reach Bible Institute, we were reading in Romans, Paul suddenly drops a word in chapter four. He drops a word, reconciliation. And it's, an imply, it's implying that we were lost at one point and then we need to be reconciled. In other words, God needs to justify us and he does that on the cross with his blood and so tonight i want to just read this i'm going to read two versions of this verse and then i'm going to pray but in jude chapter 20 it says this but you beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the holy spirit keep yourselves in the love of god waiting for the mercy of our lord jesus christ that leads to eternal life now the message bible says it this way But you, dear friends, carefully build yourselves up in the most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit, staying right at the center of God's love, keeping your arms open and outstretched. I'm going to read that again. Keeping your arms open and outstretched, ready for the mercy of our master, Jesus Christ. This is is the unending life, the real life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I just thank you for your word, Lord, and I just pray that your spirit would meet us here today, that you would fill this room, fill the minds and the hearts of your people. Father, I ask that you would use me as your vessel to deliver your message, that you would be with me as I deliver this. And I ask, Lord, that you would just begin to move and that you would just begin to give us the the energy and the focus and the zeal to stay ready to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was a moment in my life when I accepted Christ I felt invincible. Anybody do that? Right? You accept Christ and you just feel, whoo, man, there's nothing that can take me off this saddle. There's nothing that can push me down. But rather, I feel so invincible. You just want to love on everybody. You want to make sure everybody else feels the same exact way you do. You start to care about other people. You, you start to Speak in tongues, you start to pray, you start to do things you didn't do before because you had an experience. You came to God broken and all of a sudden he's fixed you a little bit and it's got you excited to the point where you're invincible. I remember uh, when I became a Christian, I was, I was in high school 
And I remember my friends started to make fun of me and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that for about two months. They started to make fun of me. They started, you know, it kind of went on. It was like I was the butt of jokes, right? And, uh, and I realized, well, th- this isn't fun anymore. You know, that they keep making fun of me. And so slowly I started to feel the effects of all that building up. And I started to question my faith. See, what ended up happening is what I didn't realize young in the Lord is that I had to develop what's called spiritual maturity. I had inconsistency in my life. I had accepted Christ, but I was no longer ready to battle the things that life throws at us. Anyone feel that way? Where I feel like I'm not equipped. I'm too new at this. And the enemy's having his way in my life. At the moment, at that moment, when I was being made fun of, I thought that was like the worst thing in my life. Right? Because I wasn't, I wasn't mature enough to understand. But when you remain inconsistent in your walk, folks, it's basically like adhesive that is baked in the sun. You start to just begin to fall off. And those of us that live this spiritual life of inconsistency, eventually you're just going to fall off. It's baking right now in some of us. See, I think sometimes we live in a cycle in our relationship where we break up with God only to reconcile with him again. We live this inconsistent life and it's like, well, I fell off again, Lord, here I am. I'm back. Where's your grace that your word talks about? Because I need it again. And really, that's the inconsistency I want to talk about today. And, and really, it's the, spiritual matru- it's the spiritual maturity I want you to begin to measure yourselves in your lives. How spiritual mature are you? Because I believe that we need to be very mature in our walk. I believe that we need to work towards that maturity. See, because when something goes wrong, how are we going to react? I want to look at King David. I want to talk about King David a little bit. I'm going to freestyle for just a moment. Let's think about King David. Think about all the great things King David did. He was this young boy, right? And it was him like against the world, it felt like. He was young. He was zealous. He, had, he wasn't fearful, right? The Bible says that he danced right in front of the king and he would, he would go in front of King Saul and he would do all these things for him and he was a great servant and he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. The Bible says that his leadership began to show and when the Philistines came to the tribe, all of a sudden they, they kind of saw David and how, you know, how masculine he was and how tough he was. And David's like, we could take him out. We could do this. If you didn't know, Philistines were like eight feet tall, man. And he was this little guy. And you know the story, right? Nobody wanted to fight Goliath, but David did. He had this invisible trait to him. Meaning he probably felt like he couldn't be defeated. See, when Jesus is in your life and you are consistent in the things of God, you feel that invincibility. David becomes the anointed king over Israel. He takes over the kingdom. The Bible says he even takes over the king's wives. It's crazy. He had everything. God gives him everything and he actually establishes the kingdom. So he did all this good stuff, but he had a bad moment. He had a bad moment with Bathsheba. Now let's talk about this for a minute, right? If you guys know the story, there's a time of war. David should actually be kind of on the front lines there. 
or at least at the battlefield. And what's taking place is all of a sudden, this woman's husband is on the field and he's away and David sees her bathing, the Bible says. As he's overlooking his palace, he begins to overlook, he sees her bathing. And then David instructs his guards, bring her to me. And at that moment, Bathsheba goes, they end up becoming intimate with each other. Everything that David had, all that invincibility had gone out the window. All that, all that maturity had just left. Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And then David says, instead of just admitting to it, right? He, what does he do? He begins to cover up his fault. He tells Uriah, which was Bathsheba's uh, husband, he says, go get him and bring him back home and have him sleep with her. So it looks like he got her pregnant. Uh-oh. So the Bible says Uriah comes home, right? And he comes home and he doesn't sleep with her. He actually feels terrible that he's away from the battlefield, away from his brothers and his soldiers. So he kind of refuses it, right? Because he was noble and he wanted to fight. So David says, you know what? Forget it. Put him on the front lines and have him killed. Just to hide this whole situation. At that moment, David, David, he doesn't mourn. He doesn't feel guilty about it. He just goes on with it. But what I want to focus on tonight, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel. I want to focus on what happens after this. Because I feel like a lot of us need to understand that just because we feel invincible now doesn't mean we can't fall later. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, I'm going to read a chunk of, of scripture to you guys. And I want you just to follow along with me. 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamp, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his, with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now let's stop there. I'm going to reenact this for you for just a moment. So the story is interesting, right? He's a, Nathan, the Lord tells Nathan, go to David and tell him this story. So Nathan goes to David and David had already done this whole thing with Bathsheba and Uriah and it's just a mess. And so he comes to him and he just begins to tell him about this poor man that had this little lamb and he loved that lamb. He would, he would begin to, that lamb was a part of his life. As a matter of fact, he would share food with that lamb. They would drink out of the same cup with that lamb. It was just something, you guys ever have a pet you just love? He's just part of the family, right? He's eating your chicken. He's eating your food, right? This was that to this man. And then this rich man, this rich man comes along. He sees the, this other guy with this lamb and he knows he's going to have a guest. He's going to have a traveler come. So he takes that man's lamb and he kills it. 
to prepare it for this traveler because he didn't want to use his own. Let's continue to read in verse seven. Nathan said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of Ammonites. And I'll stop there. The Bible gets really crazy here. I told you I'm gonna talk about love in an unloving way. You know what God begins to tell him? We're not gonna read it, okay? God tells him, all your wives, I'm gonna have them go sleep with your neighbor. That's rough. God, why would you say such a thing? Where's your grace? Lord, where's your grace in this? Why, why are you talking like that? But guess what? That's not even the worst of it. Let's jump down in verse 13. Let's continue to read. This is the worst of it. This is the punishment. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Let's stop there. If you continue to read this passage, you can read it tonight. If you continue to read on, I want you to understand that David, he reacted in a way that was maybe a little too late. He began, the Bible tells us that he fasted and went in, lay all night on the ground. In other words, his morning turned into fasting. He said, you know what? This is terrible. As the child is sick in the other room, he's going to fast and pray. These are the final moments of that child. I'm going to fast and pray, he says. The Bible begins to say he fasted and prayed for days. The servants begin to take care of this child. But it was too late. One morning, David wakes up. He sees that his servants are whispering the word of God says. At that moment, the Bible said David knew what had taken place. The child had passed away. He looks at the servants. They don't talk to each other. Nobody says a word, the Bible says. It's a heavy moment. David just lost a child. And so the pain is there. The Bible says... Now it's time to eat. So David goes and eats. And then they ask David, how can you eat at such a time as this? And he goes, I understand what my God's decision is. He understood. I talked to you about spiritual maturity. David admits guilt. David then repents. And then David accepts the consequences. He was called out for his hypocrisy. When you're called out for your hypocrisy, what are you going to do? Are you going to be mature about the situation? Are you going to do what David did? When you're called out for your hypocrisy, how do we act? Let's be honest with each other. You would like to go right back at that other person, right? Oh, I'm the hypocrite, huh? Me? You're talking about me? 
I ain't no hypocrite. You're the hypocrite. And then the argument begins, right? Nobody likes to be called a hypocrite. Heck no. Nobody in this room's a hypocrite right now. Right? None of us in here are hypocrites. None of us. Come on now. I'll let the word speak to you. How mature are you? Are you willing to accept the consequences of our Savior? Are you willing to accept the consequences of God's sovereignty? Because I told you that I was going to talk to you about love in an unloving way. That doesn't sound like God is loving somebody there by our standards. But the Bible tells us, right? What, the, what does the Bible say about God? His ways are not our ways. We may not understand everything that's taking place. The pain might be very heavy in our lives from a lost loved one. Right? But it's, it's, it's important to understand how mature are you? Because one thing the Bible did tell us is that God spares David's life. So how mature are we? I think we can be very immature sometimes. In, in Reach Bible Institute, we're talking about God and how we know he exists, right? Well, we know he exists by our experiences with him. And we could say like, yes, we can have science involved. We could do all that. And I went over all that in our class. But honestly, really our experience is what we hold on to in this world. It, it's really how we learn things. We want experience. You can go to school for many, many years. But if you don't have the experience for a job you're applying for, you may not get that job. Experience is everything to us. But here's the problem. There's reasons why we break up with God. And I think there's reasons why we are spiritually mature sometimes. See, are we going to fall off our horse and all of a sudden, you know what, God, I'm done with you. That person's getting blessed more than I am. I'm done with that. God, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like you didn't answer my prayer. That's it. You don't exist. My experience is showing me that you don't exist. God, I don't understand how you bless other people. You don't bless me. God, how come they don't go through hard times, but I do? Because that's funny that people actually think that. Everybody goes through hard times. But these are reasons why we break up with God. And it's because we think we experience everything there is with him. That's my first point. See, I think what David ended up doing is he had this great understanding with God. He got everything. He got blessed. He had a kingdom. It's like Richie Rich. If you Maybe I dated myself. Got everything at a young age, man. He had everything. All the blessings. He had it all. Established a kingdom. Going all the way back from wandering the desert. But see, sometimes we think we experience everything that there is with him. It's like, no, there's more. We get comfortable. We think we know everything. I don't, need to play, I don't need to pray about that circumstance because I already know how it's going to end up. And we think, I've already experienced enough. And in those moments, I want to, in those moments, I know. I know how God is. And what do we talk about in class for those of you that have attended? We can't know everything about God. We can't know everything about Him. See, I believe David doubted that there will be consequences to his actions. That's why he covered it up in that moment. I believe his attitude is that, we, he, that he was sovereign rather than that God was sovereign. I'm the king. This is my kingdom. I built it. I established it. No, you didn't. God established it. 
In Romans chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I don't want a darkened heart, church. I don't want God to tell me like, hey, I know you've had all these experiences with me, but don't act like you don't know. I can't, I can't get you out of any consequence. See, what you know about God, those of you that are singers, some of us know a lot about him. Some of us don't know a whole lot, but what you know about God will set the standard for how much you love him. And if we think about how much Jesus loved us, look at what he went through for us. Because what he knew about us, he knew we would, would, we would deny him. He knew that he would be betrayed by his best friend. He knew how it was going to feel on the cross, which if you didn't know this, and I hope you're not hearing this for the first time, to this day was probably the worst way to die known to man. See, what you know about God will set your standard for how much you love him. If you have some doubt in him, then we limit his sovereignty and we limit our life with him. If you are having doubt in this room, then you are going to limit what he's going to do in your life because you will not allow him to do it. You cannot fall in love with something that you do not know. You have to know about him. I used to play this joke. I kind of do sometimes still. you know, I'd come to church, I was an usher, and I'd see my friends, right? And I would tell them, hey man, I've been, I was praying for you. Like contending, man. And at the end of it, God told me, you didn't know where you were. He has no idea who you are. <laughs> I would tell them that. Like, stop it. I said, dude, he didn't know who you were. Just saying, man. Spinning, I'm contending for you and he has no idea who you are. And they go, come on. I said, bro, I'm just messing with you, but you know, make sure God knows who you are. I just mess with them like that. Make sure God knows who you are. Make sure God knows who you are. Because if you were able to do that, then you will know him. But make sure he knows who you are. You should be spending time with him. He should know the problems, right? And people say, can you pray for me? I said, did you already talk to God? Did you already tell him? Or do I got to run over A through Z on that one? Did you tell him everything? How much time do I need to pray for you on this one? Do we need to go over every aspect of this prayer? Do we need to go over the details? You know, there are people that tell you to pray for them. They don't even pray. You can tell me. My time's valuable with God. If you're going to come to me and say, hey, Pastor, can you pray for me? This and that. Yeah, of course I'll pray for you. But did, did you pray first? You should be praying first. Jeremiah chapter nine says this in verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not a, the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him boast, boast of this, that he understands and he knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. I love that verse. 
I love that verse because it doesn't sound Old Testament, but it is. It's an Old Testament verse. See, see, people, you don't understand something. They didn't have Jesus when this verse was written. But they understand the love of Christ because they've experienced God for eternity, not for moments. I want to tell, I was telling my connect group and I got really intense when I said this to them, but I apologize on Friday. I said, please make sure people at work know you're Christian. Why wouldn't you? Not just your Christian friends, but please let, pe- please let people know at work you are a Christian. And they're like, well, I, you know, you just picture the guy that doesn't like that. Like, I don't know, man. I'm a bad example. They're never going to come to my church if I tell them I'm a Christian. It's really living a life that is going to be a life for an eternity. It's a relationship that is eternal. But I want to bring you to this second point. See, the problem that we have sometimes is we love by a moment and not with eternity in mind. We love God through the moments of life. The convenience. See, a moment has a beginning and an end. It's an A to Z thing, right? It's not eternal. It's limited to that convenience in life. It's a moment. It's just A to to Z. That's a moment. But our God is eternal. So is he looking for love that is just by moments? For example, I believe King David stopped believing in an eternal relationship with God, and it was a relationship based on moments. God, I already had my moment with you. I already done this. I already know you through these moments. I got it from here. You don't need to be in this moment, God. I got it from here, right? The moment of sin. How about the moment of sin? Our moment of sin, when we're in the act, basically limits our eternity with our Lord. It's complete separation at that moment where you're saying, I'm going to sin because I live my life with you based on moments, God. It's only based on those moments that I want you to be in my life. For example, I may go to work and I may not tell anybody I'm a Christian and everyone's doing, talking foul things. In that moment, you don't want God there. That's a problem. Or how about this? You only want God there when it's convenient. Maybe when you're with your other Christian friends. That's when you want God there. You're like, I only want to be with God when everyone else in the room is contending for him. Where it's just by that moment, A to Z. When God is saying, I want an eternal relationship with you, not a moment with you. I want everything with you. And we don't, honestly, church, I don't think we understand that in this world today. Because we do live by moments. God, I'll see you Wednesday. I'll see you Friday, God, if I don't have anything else going on at Connect Group. Sorry, God, prayer was just a little too early this time. Like we moved the time or something, right? God, I'll see you Sunday. And that moment, I'll spend with you. 
It's a moment. It's not enough for him. There's a story in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite stories. I was telling Pastor Isaac this, I think, a month ago. It's got so, I love this story. I actually preached on it, I think, a couple years ago, too. But if you really think about the Israelites, right? They come out of tyranny. They leave Egypt to go into the desert. I'm going to say it again. They come out of tyranny, slavery, with the Egyptians. And where do they end up at? The desert. When we get out of tyranny, aren't we expected to get to somewhere better? But the Israelites start to say what as they're wandering the desert? Take us back to the tyranny. Take us back to that tyranny. Take us back to the slavery. I don't want the freedom anymore. I don't want the freedom of sin anymore. These moments are too hard, Lord. Take me back. I'm going to go back into the world. I'm going to go back into that tyranny. I'm going to go back to my addiction. I'm going to go back to that depression, that anxiety. I'm going to go back to that fear. The Israelites begin to complain. And this is what I love about God. I love God. I love him even during these moments because I thank him that this is documented in the Bible. God hears that they're complaining that they want to go back. And then he sends, the Bible literally says that he sends fiery serpents to the Israelites and they're getting bit. And when they get bit, they die. So God, this is an interesting thought, right? Because God is like, you guys are complaining. Send the serpents in. I'm going to show you I love you. I told you. I I warned you about this. The beginning of the sermon. I'm going to tell you about love in an unloving way. But it's not me. It's in the Bible. So he, they start getting bit and they go, Moses. They start crying like babies. They're scared out of their mind. Moses, go talk to God. Go figure out a solution with our Lord. So God tells them what? God tells them something interesting. He says, I want you to get a pole. I want you to put it in the ground. I want you to grab a serpent and I want you to put it on that pole and tell them to look at it and they will be saved. So Moses grabs the pole, puts it in the ground, serpent's up there and nobody's dying. And it's a powerful moment. It's a powerful moment because even Jesus, he actually references this moment when he's on earth. Because when they begin to look up, what do they see? They see something from God. And it's being, and, and, and that, that something is giving them redemption. That something is taking the fear away from them. How many of us just like to complain, man, and we don't talk to God? This is what the Israelites were doing. Rather than them talking to God, they said, Moses, go talk to God. Rather than them trying to seek God. Moses, you go seek God and go get the answer. So Moses gets the answer and Jesus says this in John chapter three, verse 14. Just as Moses is lifted up with the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life with him. 
So when we're going through these trials and you look to God, don't look at him for that moment. You look at him for the answer that's going to be for eternity. See church, Jesus was not lifted up for a moment. He was lifted up for the sins of the past, the present, and the future. That means the sins of your parents' past. That means the sins of today and the sins of the future. See, Jesus didn't love you for just a moment. When he hung on the cross, Jesus didn't die for them and us for a moment. So you could just spend a moment with him. Sadly, what we've come to is to live with Jesus by moments. I'm not saying that's bad, but what I'm trying to tell you is in those moments, they have to be with the intent of eternity. They cannot be with the intent of, oh no, I'm late for work. Let me stop praying and get there. Or, oh, I got a notification on my phone, God. Hold on. This is more important. Like, or when you're reading your Bible, right? And you make, you're just reading your Bible, right? And, and all of a sudden, you know, you're distracted by the TV. You didn't even turn the TV off. Where's the reverence at? See, see, that's the thing, the product of, of, of an eternal mindset. There should be some reverence about this, about the word of God. Jesus did not love you for a moment. I don't think... I don't believe a moment could keep someone on the cross. I don't believe a moment can propel, can pro- propel the action to crucifixion, which he knew about beforehand. Jesus was willing to die for an eternity, not for a moment. In Titus 1 through 16, it says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. It was for an eternity. And we need to stop loving for just a moment and start living with him in eternity. This is spiritual maturity. The final point I have for you is you love the concept of God, but you may not love the God of the Bible. Let me talk about that for a moment. I just told you about two Old Testament stories. A lot of us don't like the Old Testament God. He's a little mean. He's a little rude. He's a little out there. Doesn't really speak my language. I like the New Testament God only. Because he loves everybody. And he died for me. It's like we just care about some cheap story that's going to make us feel better. When in reality, you can't love partial God. You cannot love God and only love one aspect of him. Oh, I love your grace, God, but I don't know about your salvation. I love your, your story, God, but I don't know if it's for my life. You know, and, and, and here it's like we like the concept of God because it's easy and it makes sense for us, but not the God, not the true God of the Bible. And so we look and, and it's easy to love these things about God. We love his love, his salvation, his blessings, his grace, right? I love those things. Yeah, let me worship him. But do you love his wrath? Do you love his pain? Do you love his plan? Do you love his will? Do you love his people? Do you love his church? 
Do you love his accountability? Do you love his commands? When I say we need to love for eternity, we also need to love all of him. We don't get to take pieces of him and say, oh, I love this about you, Lord. Let me tell you, if you're doing that, I I hope you, you check yourself today about that. Because that's an inconsistent love. And in this church, we're gonna preach the true God. Old and New Testament. And again, when we look at God and we look at his love for us, these stories that I read to you probably aren't the stories that you think about first, right? They're not. They're tough stories to understand. But it's easy to understand if you look at it this way, God is not loving you for a moment and the punishments are just for a moment. The punishment's not for eternity. That's for the moment. Salvation is for the eternity. He didn't die so he could punish you. That was his punishment. We put him up there. Our sins did that. In 1 Thessalonians Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Live with him. I'm going to call the worship team to come up. But live with him. That's not, that doesn't mean for a moment. That means when you wake up in the morning, he's there. And you acknowledge him. That means when you're cussing around at work, he's there. And you acknowledge him. That means when you're thinking foul thoughts and lustful things, he's there. Acknowledge him. We're not talking about moments. We're talking about eternity. You're walking alongside him. You're, lo- you're walking with him. This is why he died on the cross. He's not part-time in your life. And if you feel that he is part-time in your life, I want you to begin to restructure your life. See, there's no part-time in salvation. You're the savior, you're not. And it takes spiritual maturity to understand this message, I'll be honest. But you have to love the discipline he gives you. The hurt, the pain. Say, God, this is terrible, man. Get me through this. Why did you pick me to go through this, Lord? Why am I going through this moment, God? How come this is happening to my family? How come this is happening? Just like David. It was too late prayer and the fasting it was just too late the child was already struck with illness he was in his last days and David decided to go pray and fast what he received is he didn't receive his child being alive but at that moment he received the knowledge of who God was God spared his life and it was through that moment I think David realized specifically who God is now. He had everything. He threw it all away. It does just take a moment to wreck your life. It does just take a moment for you to fall into sin. The punishment is for a moment, but the grace is eternal. The gra- I said the grace is eternal. If that can't get you excited, 
So why am I talking about this? Stop breaking up with him. And then making up with him again. And then breaking up. And then making up again. And then breaking up. My pastor calls that a cycle. Cycles are our issue. There are seasons in life. But don't be a cycle. Break the cycle. In Psalms chapter 118, verse 8, it says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. I'm going to say that again. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. We are so influenced sometimes. And you know what? Your greatest influence is what you're going to follow. Let God be your greatest influence. He's an eternal God that's in control. He's infinite. We're finite. He's the beginning and the end. He's I am. And so tonight, I'm going to call, I'm going to have a salvation call. For those of you that maybe don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to declare him as your Savior this evening. This is the most important part of my message and the evening is I'm here to tell you that Jesus died for your sins to get you out of cycles in life. He has a plan to live with you for an eternity, not just for a moment, but to be with you for eternity, to walk with him in his kingdom. And some of us are on our way to hell because we've taken something that is so precious and we've limited it to only certain moments in our life. And so if that's you and you're saying, you know what, that's me. This message spoke to me or this message is for me. Or you know what, I'm not living right. I got to get right. See, his grace never left. You just failed to acknowledge it. And tonight, you can acknowledge it. And so I want to provide the opportunity. If you want to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior with every head bowed, and every eye closed. I want us to have reverence during this moment, church. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to receive Christ as your personal Lord Savior, I want you to lift your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I see that hand. I'm not going to call you out. I see that hand, sis. God bless you. You can put it down. I see that hand. I see that hand. God's doing something. God's talking to some of you may feel that heavy feeling in your chest or your heart. If it's feeling heavy, you're feeling nervous or you're feeling anxious, that's God trying to tell you something. It's not me. Anyone else want to join these brave hands and say, I want to change my life. I don't want to live for the moment with Jesus. I want to live with eternity with Jesus. in Psalms 118.8 it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans no one on this earth can save you like Jesus can no one on this earth can transform you can take control of your life like Jesus can is there anyone else that would want to join these hands I see that hand God bless you you can put it down I feel like there's more is there anyone else that would like to join this, this call to salvation Again, we're not going to embarrass you. We're going to celebrate. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate. But if there's anyone else 
Just lift your hand. Anyone else at all? All right, those that lifted your hand, did you mean that? Did you mean that over there? I want you to do one one other thing for me. I want you to come to the front. We're going to have some people pray with you. You don't have to tell them everything. They just want to pray with you. Just come to the front. You don't have to be nervous. People are coming with you. God bless you. We are going to celebrate. Amen. We are celebrating. Listen, he's God's ready for you. Sis, God's ready for you. He's ready for you, sis. We got some more. Let's, let's celebrate. Amen. Let's give him a hand clap. Listen, the commitment that you make today impacts infinity. But you know what that really means? It impacts legacy. The seeds that are planted at this altar today impacts legacies. Not just your lives, but the people around you. God begins to transform not only you, but the people around you. I want you to think about that. The decisions that you make here today, that decision goes everywhere. And we celebrate you and we celebrate you guys making that decision. Let's let's give God some praise. They're going to lead you to the Lord. Just pray with them. Talk with them. They're going to lead you to the Lord right now. But listen, church. I feel like this message, when God spoke to me about this message, I truly felt that he spoke to me to, to warn you about the moments that we're living with him. They're not enough. We need greater commitment in the kingdom of God. The, what happened on the cross, the atonement, it was not for a moment, it was for eternity. That means the sins of the past, the present, and the future. And the legacy is still within you. The legacy that God has placed in you to impact the people around you is alive and well. But it's time to recommit and take them seriously. If you feel like you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, I want you to come to the front and say, God, I want to make a bold commitment. I want to make a new stance that you are going to take control over my life. And it's, just, it's really a call to repentance, church. Maybe we're not living enough. We're not living enough for the Lord. I want to invite you up. And those of you, if this message spoke to you, I'm going to open up this altar and say, God, I haven't been doing enough. God, I know that you're an eternal God, but I've treated you like you're just a God of the moment. If that's you, I want you to get out of your seat and get things right with God. Don't let this opportunity be passed by. This is a moment where you stir everything in life because God is in control. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.